This is the future. And humanity is all but extinct. First they start skipping prescribed drug dosages. Then they begin touching. I volunteer as tribute! You can stop this. You can change things. I know that there's something more. Then we've only got one choice. We fight. Fight the future with Dan and Paul. Welcome to Fight the Future with Dan and Paul. I'm Dan. And I'm Paul. And we have another special guest with us tonight. Hi, I'm Gabby. Yeah, welcome, Gabby. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. It's partly that you're my friend, but also that I once heard you use the phrase, I volunteer as tribute in casual conversation. Yes. That made me want to have you for this podcast. Yeah, I bring some much needed diversity to this podcast. Oh, I mean, I meant that I was an American, but... <laughs> Using I volunteer as tribute in casual conversation, you're clearly uh, uh, someone who knows something about this whole series. W would you consider yourself a fan of the, of the series? I'm, a, I'm sort of a hesitant fan because when you're a fan of something, you enjoy it. And while I know and like The Hunger Games, I wouldn't say I enjoy The Hunger Games. <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah. there, there's a difference between enjoying the, you know, reading it and the story as opposed to, uh, you know, endorsing the Hunger Games themselves. So, Paul, are you saying that there might be people who are not fans of either the book or the movie, but are fans of the Hunger Games themselves? Yeah, they're, they're, they're fans of the concept of a Hunger Games kind of event. Right. Maybe they have, oh, like, Quidditch-style yeah. tournaments, except... Right, right. <laughs> Muggle Hunger Games. Murder Quidditch. Yeah. <laughs> this series, the Hunger Games series, is actually second only to Harry Potter in terms of its approval among uh, young adult book readers. Well, I guess it, it might have the sort of gender-neutral appeal that, say, you know, Twilight, while vastly popular, does not have. Hmm. Right, right. I think they've. that's why these movies are so popular right now, is that studio executives figured they found the perfect formula like if you have a very romantic plot line, but then you also have people being stabbed and shot in the same story, then it can appeal to all quadrants. In every episode, we talk about the plot, we talk about the uh, plausibility, scariness, how would we do, and then we talk about hope for the future. We're just going to cover the first Hunger Games movie slash book in this podcast, we may lightly touch on some of the atmosphere of the later books, but we're not going to reveal big twists or anything like that. So it's safe as far as those kind of spoilers. We are planning to do the other books in future episodes. And also just a note that I'm in Italy and Paul is in Victoria. Gabby's in Brooklyn at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's truly international. <laughs> yeah. Basically all the major uh, power centers, I would say. Ro Rovereto, Italy, and Victoria, British Columbia, and Brooklyn. And uh, pretty much an entire day's worth of time changes, too. Mm. All right, well, let's get right into the story in this case. The story. The Hunger Games takes place in what is known as Pan Am, which used to be known as North America. And oh. now it's this weird sort of big colonial mishmash of disaster. Um, basically, there is a capital, which is rich and prosperous and they manage to live that lifestyle by having a series of 12 districts around the continent and each district is in charge of supplying something needed to the capital um the people in the districts generally tend to be poor and oppressed it turns out that years ago there was a rebellion against the capital the rebellion was a failure so as punishment every year the capital hosts the Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is a reality television program wherein two teenagers are selected from every district. Then they're thrown into this arena, they fight to the death, and one person makes it out. And whoever makes it out, in theory, brings glory to their district, food for their family and for their district, and also gets to not die. Which is important, uh, especially for our heroine, Katniss Everdeen, 
who is in the the poorest of all of the districts, District yes. 12. District 12, the mining district. Just trying to survive with, with her sister and her mom. Yeah, her father died, and it's pretty hard to survive there, especially if you don't even have the source of income of coal mining. But luckily for Katniss, she likes to sort of escape into the woods with her friend Gail and hunt wild game and sell that on the black market. And because of that, she's able to sort of scrape by and support her family. But looming over everything is the fact that the Hunger Games selection process is coming up, that each district has to offer up two of its young people between the ages of 12 and 18. Yep, one boy, one girl. So comes the day of the, they call it the reaping, I believe. Mm-hmm. They, uh, where they get all the children to get into their nicest clothes and they uh, draw their names from a bowl <laughs> and... Katniss's sister, her 12-year-old sister, who only has one entry in the thing, gets selected. Katniss can't deal with that happening, can't imagine that happening, and so she volunteers very dramatically as the first person to ever volunteer from her particular district. You could hear that clip in your opening theme. Mm -hmm. By the way, um, in Italian, which I watched it in Italian, Mm -hmm. uh, that phrase is, mi offro volontario. Nice. I offer myself as a volunteer. And the other person who's chosen is Pita Mellark, who's an acquaintance of hers, a baker in the community who used to help her out by throwing her bread sometimes, and seems completely unprepared for intense combat. He's just a nice baker boy. With nice biceps. Nice biceps. Those are important. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then this is the perspective we need. And then we're <laughs> um, are whisked off to the capital in a, a very modern-looking train. Despite the fact that the districts are so poor and are living this sort of subsistence lifestyle, they have very little technology or anything. There's this like... So it looks like the Appalachians in the 1920s or something. It Well, it is supposed to be the Appalachians. Ah. Just not the 1920s. Mm-hmm. It's in the future. Yeah, we don't know what time period it is, but it's at some unspecified time in the future when things have gone to poop. So they get to the capital, where they're treated as celebrities, essentially. Mm-hmm. Peta and Katniss. And completely overwhelmed by all the uh, amazing uh, opulence, decadence of the capital. Yeah, it's like going from 1920s Appalachia to modern-day Las Vegas. Sure, yeah. And they're immediately put on a talk show, hosted by Stanley Tucci. There's a lot of just sort of joking around and... Oh, well, this is good. You know, you seem like a really nice fellow and this will be, you know, a super, a super fun event when obviously there's this subtext that they are all going to have to kill each other. Yeah, it might be worth noting, I guess, what happens during PETA's reality television show interview. Uh, he says that he, he has a crush on someone, but it's tragic because the crush is on Katniss, who came here with him, and he's going to have to kill her or she will kill him. And the crowd is completely into this. And the crowd actually matters in this case because uh, if you can get people to care about you, they can band together and, and buy you gifts for within the game. So they're already playing the game, even though they, they're not yet in the arena, trying to gather public support. Mm. I was really hoping that there would be some aspect like that really what somebody should have come in there and done like a, a you know WWF style promo you know, rather than like the, the casual talk show thing, somebody just be like, I'm going to win the Hunger Games because there is no challenge. I'm going to destroy everybody. Well, there's nothing quite on that level, but there are there are tributes from the little, the less poor districts who are who volunteered and are gladiators by being raised and are super psyched to be there. And they're kind of hamming up to the crowd and flexing and all that sort of thing. And so our heroes are the underdogs here. All they have with them is Hamish. He won once in District 12, and now he's the coach. But he's drunk all the time. He's had to train or, or mentor 25 other groups of people who have just horribly died. So obviously he's a little burned out in the whole process. Well, he tries to avoid them, but then they sort of, Katniss and Peta show this sort of desire to stay alive and do what they can that he didn't really expect, and it kind of snaps him out of it a little bit. And he sort of is willing to get his hopes up for the first time in ages because they make a good team. 
because Katniss is really deadly with a bow and Peeta is a really nice dude and people tend to like him. <laughs> and he can paint his hand to look like a tree. He can paint the heck out of his hand to look like a tree. Yeah, I don't know what kind of cakes he used to make in the baker shop, but... Yeah, the fun fact about District 12 is that they tree cakes are a big part of their <laughs> celebratory culture. <laughs> if you can't find the cake, they think that's the best thing ever. <laughs> But uh, Katniss also makes a splash in typical rough-hewn fashion by getting mad at the judges. At one point, they have to go through these different trials to be ranked. That's part of the... It's basically handicapped, like, uh, you know, as if they're racehorses or something. And they're not paying much attention to her. So she fires an arrow and shoots an apple out of the mouth of the pig they're all eating. Right. Is this the moment where we can give a shout-out to Seneca Crane's beard? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is... Uh... Amazing. Yeah, if there's one reason to watch this movie, it is the beard that Wes Bentley bears for the movie. And <laughs> it's like two little sharks, like jaws, like the fins just crawling up his face, like they're going to burst out of his temple and attack <laughs> you. It's glorious. <laughs> anyway, in the, for the purpose of this movie, in the scope of this movie, Seneca is the evil game master who's always trying to throw obstacles in their path. Right. He's... Well, he's basically the producer of the of the games. Yeah, and he answers to President Snow, president of the Capitol, who's trying to keep a lid on everything. And I guess president of all of, not only the Capitol, but also the districts. Right, he's the dictator of this world right. that we're in. And he's real evil. Yeah, he's, he's just straight up evil. The preliminaries can only go on so long. The time comes when Katniss is being prepared to go into the arena to fight these other children by uh, Lenny Kravitz, who's her stylist, which is actually a really important role in this world because, yeah, you need to be popular. You need to be dressed right. She's now standing in the tube ready to be raised up into the arena. They all come up, and there's 24 of them, the 12 districts send two people. So there's 24 people, and you, you stand there on your little raised platform, and you can't leave your platform because there's, like, mines around them or something. There's a little countdown, and then in front of them, there's a giant pile of weapons. <laughs> weapons and survival gear and all sorts of equipment. Uh, and so at the very beginning, there's this big mad rush, which immediately results in massive casualties. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, there's about, I think about half the people die in the first like five minutes of the whole process. You know, their mentor gives them, gives her the advice just before she goes in. Just book it for the forest. Do not go for the stuff in the middle. It's a trap. So she goes for the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> she tries to grab a backpack that's kind of off to the side. Yeah, meanwhile, these uh, teenagers are slaughtering each other everywhere. Yeah. But both her and Peta make it to the forest. So th it appears to be a very natural forest glade where all this is occurring, but it is the arena. Because luckily we get to see the sort of behind the scenes. That's something you don't get in the book is you get to see the sort of movie studio where Seneca Crane is pointing at people and being like, you, like, make this tree fall down. And they, like, swipe their hand. And then in the arena, a tree falls down. And so Katniss does something that seems kind of natural, which is tries to escape from the arena. Yeah, I don't know if she's escaping from the arena if in more that she's not just basically trying not to engage with the other contestants. Yeah. She's confident in her hunting and, and survival abilities, but not in her killing other people abilities. Right. To do so, she just basically goes as far away from everybody as possible, which obviously doesn't result in very good television. So, so luckily they have the power to create a forest fire, so. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If I was watching The Hunger Games, I would be pretty annoyed if, if somebody was just like, oh, they got too far to the thing. A giant fireball killed them. I'm just imagining that, like, somewhere in the Capitol, there's a guy in a t-shirt that says, like, I love fire, who's just like, oh, I really hope someone gets burned to death this year. And, like, he doesn't <laughs> care about, like, the people slicing and shooting each other. And he's just like, fire, fire. <laughs> and then he got all his hopes up when Katniss is stuck in the forest fire. And he's like, oh. Right. So she gets scalded pretty badly mm -hmm. by this fire and runs back away from it, is herded back, and immediately runs into a group of the others who formed an alliance. Yeah, including the, these, like professional uh, Hunger Games participants, these, you know, that are trained to be deadly fighters. And, surprisingly enough, PETA. No! PETA, oh. no! So, uh, PETA seems to not only be hanging out with them, but he actually seems to be leading them to her. Although, it becomes clear pretty quickly that he's not actually uh, 
betraying her too much, although he does seem to be hanging out with these people who are assholes. Yeah, they're very mean. It's very, it's like, I just, like, remembered middle school and, like, the cool kid's table. <laughs> it's like that, except this time they're weaponized. So she's chased up a tree by this alliance of mean kids, and they just decide to wait it out. Some time passes as she's hiding up in this tree, and then she hears a little sort of whisper, and she notices Rue, who is one of the youngest participants. I think she she is actually, like, just straight up 12, and is hiding in a tree right sort of beside her her tree and motions over to this uh this sort of a beehive of these horribly genetically engineered wasps tracker jackers that have especially terrible stings that not only uh, are incredibly painful but also cause horrible hallucinations katniss chops down a the branch that they're on drops this uh beehive or wasp nest on top of uh the people down on the ground and chases them away and also it kills somebody. But she does get hit by a few on the way. PETA seems to have made it out, though. So she has horrible hallucinations and wakes up having been taken care of by Rue. So they form an alliance, the two of them. Mm-hmm. And they go back to the cornucopia where all the equipment was and the cool kids have built up all of their supplies and protected it with mines, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so one well-placed shot is enough to detonate everything and uh, destroy all the supplies. So now she's really on their radar. But in the aftermath of Katniss trying to regroup with Rue, unfortunately, she takes a spear to the stomach. Rue, not Katniss. Yeah. She doesn't bury the body, but she sort of lays out uh, Rue's body. I, I, I feel like she realizes that the people from Rue's district will be able to see her and so she can try to honor Rue by saluting Rue and saluting her district and so forth. But when when she salutes to the district, you see back what's happening at the district that Katniss doesn't know, and the people are so sort of moved by what they've just seen that a riot breaks out against mm-hmm. the, the peacekeepers, quote-unquote, from the capital. At that point, she runs into Peta again, who's been wounded. Mm-hmm. But he's he has he has caked himself into looking like a bit of of marshland or or river or something. Yeah, I don't know why I'm laughing. Uh, it's very because it's a effective. hilarious moment. Like it's really good camouflage. Like that cake, yeah. nobody would find that cake even until the end of the birthday. <laughs> and so yeah, and so they they join up together and uh, sort of hide in a nearby cave. There's sort of a few days go by where no one's getting killed. Uh, but Peta is getting worse, I guess, because he thinks he's about he's going to die. He comes clean to Katniss that all the stuff he said in the interview wasn't just to get people to like them more and get sponsors and stuff. That was all true. He has had a crush on her, or has been in love with her uh, for a very long time. And she is sort of ambivalent. I mean, I don't think romance is the first thing on her mind because she's a survivalist, but she realizes that she has to sort of just go along with it as part of a survival strategy to be likable and to get uh, presents from sponsors that could save her and save Peta, who she certainly doesn't want dead. She she cares about him, even though she's not really, really indulging the notion of romance at this time. Yeah, so she takes some risks to get medicine for him uh, and soup. Oh, right around that time, Hamish makes a deal. So Hamish, their coach has turned out to be surprisingly effective. Uh, he's got his act together, and he's got them a lot of uh, presents. And now it seems as though he's changed the rules of the game so that there can be two winners instead of one. But only if they're from the same district. Right. Which conveniently is only Katniss and Peta at this point, I believe. So this is purely a result of the capital basically being drunk on this romance that's mm-hmm. happening. That must be a new thing. They have another run-in with one of the other contestants, the fox-faced girl, who's one of the cleverest contestants. Yeah, but luckily Peta's stupidity gets her dead. She sees him picking poison berries, thinks, oh, I can steal some of these berries, and promptly dies because Peta didn't realize they were poison. But they decide to pocket some poison berries for later. And now they're, they're down to just four contestants, including the two of them. And this is when they decide to... Unleash the hounds. That. They do that thing. <laughs> right. So there's uh, 
uh, genetically engineered monsters, which in the book are called mutations. And in the book are specifically designed to look like the dead contestants, which is particularly messed up, but the movie just yeah. hasn't been, you know, yeah. they look like Fluffy from the Harry Potter first movie. Right. But it all ends up in a big fight on top of the cornucopia, the, the very final contestants. Yeah. One, of the, one contestant gets eaten by the dogs pretty quick, so it's just them and Kato, who's one of the popular kids. And he sort of makes this really remarkable speech about how he's dead already and he's broken on the inside, but he still can do this. And then they, they probably work together to kill him. They feed him to the dogs and Katniss puts him out of his misery with an arrow. Mm -hmm. And so they think that they've just won the Hunger Games, but a voice comes on the loudspeaker and says, oh, never mind, just just kidding. There can only be one winner of the Hunger Games. Uh, good luck. Yeah. Serious dick move. Yeah. Katniss and Peeta decide or or decide to try to force the hand of the game makers, whatever it is, they say, all right, we'll poison ourselves with these berries and we'll commit joint suicide and there'll be no winner. So right before they're about to do that, Seneca Crane, good old Seneca Crane and his beard come in and say, no, no, never mind. Uh, uh, don't do that. We have two winners this year. And the he a helicopter promptly arrives to take them out of the arena. Plausibility. I think the, the big plausibility question is, could a Hunger Games actually exist? Is this too far out or could this come about somehow? It was specifically designed by Suzanne Collins, the author of The Hunger Games, to be like, oh, it's like our society. Like, we like reality TV. We like violence on TV. What if we combine the two? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of actual killing that you see on TV sometimes with war footage. Yeah. And yeah, you get to see children sort of put through the mill on the Disney Channel every day, <laughs> which... Uh, Suzanne Collins worked for, by the way. Oh, oh yes. really? Uh huh. So she would see child stars go through that process, be all groomed, be all uh, in the public eye. Not so different. It's. I feel like in some ways the two goals of the Hunger Games are a little bit opposed. The Hunger Games as sort of an entertainment spectacle, which it's clearly for the capital, mm -hmm. and the Hunger Games as this sort of tool of oppression. There's the, all the stuff about hope, you know, where uh, um, President Snow is like, why do we have somebody win? It's because we need to sh give people hope. But it's clearly not doing that, right? Like it's, it, it's the nobody in the districts wants to be in the, like, it's not like people in, in the districts are like, yeah, it's tough, but I might win. Hope I get it. It'll be great. Uh, in, in a couple of the districts, though, that's the thing, is that it's selective. The Hunger, the Hunger Games as a franchise is extraordinarily Marxist, and I'm not joking when I say this. <laughs> and oh, this is great. I want to it, hear No, it's, it's yeah. more about class than anything else, varying from the fact that you need rich people to like you to help tilt the odds to your favor. You know, may the odds be ever in your favor is hilarious because the, there's nothing that's by chance about the Hunger oh, Games. Wow, Everything is great. design. And there's the fact that the people in Districts 1 and 2 who produce the, the gladiator type of, of tributes, they're from the less poor districts. They're from the districts that make sort of the luxury goods for the capital. And they have this sort of pride, actually, in being, in being subservient to the capital. And they have this sort of very middle class, upper middle class vibe to them. And they sort of say, well, we're better than the people from the poorer districts. So... They enjoy the Hunger Games on a different level than either the capital or the poor districts experience them. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, and when you win the Hunger Games, you get all these extra privileges, right? Like you get food, more food. Yeah, and it, and in District 12, say, it's like survival. It's like, oh, my district can can actually eat this year. But in one of the first two districts, it's more about the glory. It's more about the, the status. But they also are doing better as far as food if they win. So there's that too. They yeah. get privilege piled on top of privilege as the sort of lapdog districts. Yep. Hmm. Definitely the middle class. Yep. <laughs> and there, there's also the, the thing with, you know, you can get more food from the peacekeepers or from, from the capital or from whoever if you put your name into the draw more times. 
right, which makes it more likely that the poorer children from each already poor district are going to be more susceptible to going into the games. And there is class disparity in Katniss's district, as Peta is a baker and his family has food, and Katniss is from a mining family that barely has that. So the fact that Katniss, for example, entered her name in more probably more than Peta did. So he does get picked, so it's still possible. There's still this risk, but it's more likely that the more destitute you are, the more likely you're going to go into the games, and then the more likely you're going to die. Yeah, yeah, which is an interesting, right. that's definitely a, an interesting uh, idea. Like if you were going to volunteer or something, you could get a whole ton of food and be like, I don't care how many times my name is in the thing because I'm, I'm screwed anyway. So bring me all the food. Let's put my name in a hundred times. Yeah, that's one way you could game it, right? Is if you had somebody, uh, you could have them do all the tessera, as they're called, <laughs> and and then volunteer. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess the question of plausibility is actually a really disturbing question because it's sort of saying, well, is the perfect mix of dehumanization of, of the working class, um, class disparity, um, enjoyment of violence, and mass media, if you mix these in just the right way, could you have the Hunger Games? It's like, well, we have a lot of that stuff already, so I hope it's not plausible, but... I mean, some of these dating shows are like very emotionally cruel. You're, people are not actually being stabbed, but they're having their... Hearts ripped out. Is that stretching? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, some of them just seem brutal. Uh, like I look at X Factor because uh, I watched the, the X Factor in Italian here because my former neighbor Vivian Grillo was a contestant up until the final ten. She wasn't. No, that was of the the voice where there was an Italian nun. Oh yeah, yeah. No, she wasn't the nun. Okay. I'd love to know her. She seems cool. Um, but this was a. Uh, Right. And so, yeah, they really, they put them on the spot in terms of national humiliation. Like one time her, her feedback mic didn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she was singing off key for the whole time in front of uh, 2,000 people plus the audience at home. And then she got reamed out for it by the judges. So, you know, that's not murdering, but it is cruelty to a 17-year-old. So uh. it's certainly not very, and especially like the aspect of, you know, where they have the, them sort of, you know, they have them all come in on the chariots and they have the sort of talk show where they're talking about them, where they are sort of being, you know, treated as reality show contestants. And you can imagine that the, the population of, of the capital, uh, you know, you can kind of forget or, or, you know, you aren't emphasizing the part where they, 23 of the people will die. They not not minimize that. It's sort of disassociated a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, look at Effie, who's the woman who comes to district and picks the names. As you hear her constantly throughout the movie, sort of rationalizing to herself, like she'll be like, "Oh, it's too bad. You're going to probably have to die in the games." But look, meanwhile, you get to stay at the capital, and we're going to treat you real nice, and you never got to live like this at home. Yeah, look at how nice her hotel room is. Yeah. 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 I mean, she's she's quite an interesting character. She has no perspective on the sort of slaughter involved. And yeah, about half of the districts or some of the more privileged ones are kind of deluded about it as well. Like President Snow uses this language of honor to your district. Right. Mm-hmm. He said glory and honor, sacrifice. Only District 12 is it, does it seem like a complete joke. The district that uh, Rue comes from is clearly not very happy about the whole situation either. We don't see much of the other districts really at this no, point. No, no. Uh, yeah, I happen to know it's the agricultural district. Yeah. That's where most of the food comes from. Yep. Uh, people happen to be resemble African-American people. You know, I think yeah. they played that down in the movie. Well, race and the Hunger Games, I'm not even going to get so much into because, yeah. Are the districts... Katniss is whiter in the movie than she is in the books. And in the books, there's essentially two races in District 12. And Peta's from, like, the white people race, essentially. And Katniss is actually from a mixed household where her mother is from that, that other higher caste. And her father was this sort of vaguely described person of color. So, wow. yeah. And yeah, the movie does not want to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, so the other aspect of the Hunger Games, the goal as a suppression technique, I feel like it's not that good an idea. Now you have a situation where there are some districts that literally have like academies where they're training children to fight. Wow, that's a good point. One, you are allowing, not only allowing, but actually encouraging the districts to train, train to be better fighters. And you are showing it to everybody. 
very explicitly. There are projectors set like, up all how over. How could they not expect people to rebel when they, they're watching their children die? Yeah. Well, Snow, Snow claims that it's because, but there's always that small chance that my child will be the one who makes it out. Right. And that right. that is enough to sort of like keep them down and be like, let's not rock the boat because it could be worse. And at least they're going to let one person out and it could be my kid. Right. 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 So do you think that uh, Panem, which is this world, is at an actual crisis point for, because of some bigger reasons? I didn't see any indication of that. It seemed like really Katniss was the catalyst in a way, like that things could have kept going the way they were. It seems like, I don't know about whether there's some external thing, but it does seem like unrest is sort of simmering, maybe more so than it has been previously. Uh, I mean, certainly people in District 12 don't seem to be very happy about the situation. Are other countries even a thing? No, we don't learn about any other countries. Here's something, which is that I was looking this up online. The population of all the districts is really small. Like, the population of District 12 is 8,000 people. It says oh, so wow. in the book. And the population of the capital is 100,000 people. Right. So this, so, so, so this entire, like, the, the entirety of the space we're dealing with, like, from the capital to District 12, is not very big at all. Or uh, there's a large amount of irradiated wasteland in between. Mm, that's true. No, we also don't know exactly what the continent looks like. It may have been partly submerged in ocean. Right. North America in this dystopic future might not look on a map like North America now. Right, right. Mm -hmm. There are more central areas are hinted at. Like the capital is, has been suggested to be like Denver, Colorado, possibly. Yeah, the Rockies probably. Yeah, so it's a strange world, which is probably only about 2 million people in total. Mm-hmm. You have to keep, take that into account when you think about the, the stability or the uh, the dy- dynamics of it. Right. So the entire thing is just basically like a you know a city now. A yeah, large, I wasn't a sure if I, city. I wasn't sure if I believe the way that the capital was depicted on screen. If it's only a hundred thousand people, like that's you know that's like a smallish college town, right? Hmm. Like, would they have gleaming big buildings and so on? Well, but I mean, I guess the decadence is is a real big part of the whole thing. So that like apartment that they are in while they're getting prepared for the Hunger Games, that might be that that's like, you know, maybe just there are 100,000 people, but everybody has ginormous apartments and everybody has, you know, a ton of space. And it's like every, everyone is rich, effectively. Okay. Anything else quick on plausibility? Just the more I think about it, the more plausible it is <laughs> especially when you're talking about such a uh, you know a, a small population you know obviously some horrible stuff has happened in in the world and things so you can imagine that the yeah there's been breaks there's been actually this is a double apocalypse because there was some unspecified apocalypse maybe a nuclear war mm-hmm. and then there was this rebellion it was absolutely horrifying so you can imagine the the sort of standards of what is considered to be okay can shift quite a lot. When there are so few people and when death and fighting is is something that is very close in terms of their history uh, and in terms of their day-to-day lives, then you can imagine something like the Hunger Games would be more acceptable. Scariness. Very scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. it's, it's like the it's not like the mild salsa of scariness it's like the medium salsa <laughs> yeah i mean this is this is interesting because it's you know we we do other we've With done corn chunks or not <laughs> sorry <laughs> we've done other dystopia stuff where it's been like you know where there's there's sort of this uneasiness because the society is so tightly controlled and everybody everyone has to do their assigned job and yada 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 whereas in hunger games the scariness is much more immediate it's yeah, you're going to be put into a place where people are going to try and kill you. Yeah, and where you have children killing each other. That's We haven't really hit that yet in our dystopias. Children killing other children? Yes. Yeah. So I guess the question is, how scary is this society outside of the chance of being chosen to be in the Hunger Games? 
Well, there's certainly the threat of losing someone close to you. Is is that's the whole reason Katniss volunteers is because she fears losing her sister. Right, right. I guess even if you, I guess if you're over eighteen, you can't volunteer even. So, and imagine eight thousand people, two children dying every year. Uh, that's a fair impact on a community. Yeah. That's quite nightmarish to think about, and yet I'm sure that happens in real poor communities as well, just through disease or whatnot, which they also have. Oh yeah, there, there's a couple times during the Hunger Games that Katniss gets, uh, you know, healing salve or whatever. For her, it's you know, it's clearly something that you know is completely amazing to her. So there isn't any kind of uh, medical technology of that even nearing that sophistication in the districts. So it's probably pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, her father dies in a mining accident. It has nothing to do with the Hunger Games. It's just because she lives in a scary dystopia where things like that happen. So what about the Capitol? Did you find the Capitol scary? I mean, apart from the the very big thing about the Capitol, obviously, is that they're getting entertainment out of the districts, murdering each other, and the children of the districts dying. Like, that's the fundamental fact of their existence that makes it horrible. Um, but apart from that, it seemed like they were trying to paint it as decadent, as silly, as mm-hmm. appearance-obsessed. I mean, I I was a little bit weirded out by that. I don't know what. You know, it's it sort of presented as this very sort of decadent, you're saying like Las Vegas or whatever. But clearly, President Snow has much a much tighter iron fist type control over the Capitol. You know, even if you are a citizen in the Capitol, you can be just killed if you do something to step out of line. Yeah, right. but at least some of the people of the Capitol have created a false sense of security for themselves. And even if the danger is there, they don't immediately feel it, even if maybe they should. Mm. Yeah, if you live in a dictatorship that allows you to be extremely wealthy and privileged and also have this great entertainment once a year that you can obsess over, uh, then you might not be that conscious of the fact that you're in a dictatorship. But yes, the people in the Capitol are also at the mercy of President Snow. Also, any society that creates genetically engineered wasps and giant dogs is just automatically gets a scary. Yeah, well, that tells us something about the wars that happened, that they used absolutely horrifying weapons in the wars. Yeah. Yeah, those creatures were probably not invented for the Hunger Games. No, the tracker jackers were invented, you know, and it's obviously a terror weapon. Like, it's scarier than any weapon I can think of in real life. Uh, to have wasps that, that follow you, once they lock onto you, you can't shake them. And they make you hallucinate and stuff, yeah. Yeah, they give you fear hallucinations. It actually reminds me a little bit, I was reading an article not too long ago about um, uh, Dubai. Th- this article was talking specifically about a person working for a company there and, and got into hard times and was like put into debtor's prison. And it was like, oh, right. Wow. You know, there isn't the same concept of bankruptcy or whatever, but uh, sufficient wealth will sort of isolate you from some of that stuff. But clearly in the capital, there's some seriously dangerous stuff going on. How would they do? In this segment, we talk about a role of somebody in the society and think about how we would do in that role, imagine ourselves into that role. Yeah, well, for me, there was there was no use sort of picturing myself in the Hunger Games. One, I have pretty good luck at like rolling D20s. I don't think I'd get picked. Second of <laughs> all, I'd be the I'd be the one who falls off the pedestal before the timer finishes and they would just blow me up. So that would be me <laughs> in the Hunger Games. Um, and I don't so wanna... you just lose all motor control and just fall over, <laughs> just fall over. Just OK. <laughs> Well, it's but then I was thinking like, well, would I deserve to be in the capital or the? But the point of everything in the society is that it's random. Is that there's no deserving. So it'd be sort of silly to be like, which district would you know take this quiz? Which district in the Hunger Games is right for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I I like to sort of think like, what's it like being a random person in one of the lapdog districts? Mm is sort of being immersed in this culture. Not obviously, immediately, I'm like six years old. They're like, yeah, we're not training you for the Hunger Games. But but growing up in this culture that is a victim of violence and celebrates it anyway. And also, mm-hmm. meanwhile, I could spend my day like embroidering throw pillows, which is <laughs> something I would totally be into. So it's like, mm, on the one hand, like culture of violence. On the other hand, like I could perfect my embroidery game. So 
So I've decided to make myself media morally culpable and <laughs> and get to be like a little stylish without without being um, Senec Crane's beard. I mean, the aspect you're you're saying about you know how you you would be one of the people who just steps off the thing and has me like. I, I can't, I imagine, like, they've been doing it for, whatever, 74 years. Like, that's got to be a problem. Like, what if what if one year everyone just dies in the first melee in the, at the beginning? Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, okay, well, uh, that was the Hunger Games. Right, <laughs> good job, everybody. Go home. We sold all this commercial time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the year where, Are like, it was all 12-year-olds oh, that were chosen. It's like, oh, this is going to yeah. be bad. Yeah, keep keep in mind, if you're fighting in the Hunger Games, it's not you now. It's you when you were between 12 and 18. Oh, right, God. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to say that my hand-to-hand combat skills haven't changed that much since I was 18. <laughs> so I would say they're maybe five or six times as good of <laughs> <Not> zero. <laughs> right. Okay, so for a, a living, I make videos and stuff. And so... What I immediately got interested in is the production of the Hunger Games. Uh-huh. And so, like, I, I would be, like, one of the people, you know, way in the back in the, uh, you know, when, when Seneca Crane is standing around doing his thing. It would be, like, one of the people who's, like, operating one of the little remote cameras or something, you know, zooming around and are writing on the, on the invisible dome that covers the top, uh, covers the entire Hunger Games thing being, like, you know today's specials or whatever or you know whatever you whatever the different things they, they <laughs> <Today's> write today's special <laughs> i mean it's mostly about minestrona today yeah it's mostly about which people have died but i feel like there could be some you know creativity involved in that yeah i mean it's an objectively very well produced television show yeah yeah that uh balance between you know you're trying to create a television show and you're also obviously trying to have the the right outcome happen or whatever you know stuff where they're like forcing Katniss to go back towards the other combatants and stuff but you know there's got to be some kind of uh you want to you want to just like have a hundred frogs drop on their heads for no particular reason just because it'll be funny it's a biblical reference yeah it'll (laughs) it'll make good television i'm sure there's like stars among them people who bring their own specific touch yeah. People who come up with particularly twisted death traps. All right, all right. Bring in the dog guy. All right, go get Dave. Well, Seneca has his favorite. He keeps being like, hey, Lucia, and she's this one lady, and she's like, hey. And she seems to be really good at setting up ways to kill children at a distance. Yeah. She puts under special skills on her resume. And, of course, there, there, there is certainly the aspect where the people in, the, in, that, in that room, you know, you're watching everything through holographic displays and televisions and stuff. And so there would be a, there certainly would be like a, a disassociation with it, right? You could, you can, yeah. you would start seeing it from a very sort of clinical point of view mm-hmm. uh, being like, hmm, yes, I think it would be better to, yeah, the, the, the horrible monsters maybe put over there and that'll do that. And then the, we'll have fire and then maybe another fireball there and that kind of stuff. Like, I think you could, you, you would definitely get, you know, see, start seeing it from a, a very sort of practical point of view and dehumanizing the actual contestants. Yeah, I really believe that would be easy to happen. Oh, one thing that was interesting was that they made them all wear these matching uniforms in the in the uh, production room, mm-hmm. as opposed to in a real TV production room where they'd probably be all wearing like their own fashion or like very casual clothing. Yeah, and almost as though they had to be like disciplined, like bridge crew. But I, I don't, yeah, I think that vibe is a little off. I think that it's, they're just going for generic dystopia in that case. And the reality would be they're all kind of funky, empowered people. Yeah, Paul, you know. how would you do wearing an all-white jumpsuit? <laughs> oh, you know, you keep spilling stuff. It's all, no. <laughs> I, you, know, you get fired because you spilled something on yourself. So I got interested in the train at the beginning. And so I imagine myself as the train conductor Mm. on the train so it's a bit of an incongruity that we have these 12 districts that are some of them look very old-fashioned but we have this very modern train traveling in between them and it also has all these nice old-fashioned bits of decor so i'd like to be involved in the train culture because you're one of the only people who regularly travels between the districts and i assume there's also a lot of freight moving and so on 
Do you think there that... are hobos on the, the backs of these trains? <laughs> wow. Future hobos. That's even better. Yeah, like there must be a, a illegal smuggling of people from one district to another somehow. So maybe I'd be involved in that. I'd be one of the few people who'd see all the different districts and see them evolve over time. I probably have a serious part to play in the rebellion. That's a bit of a spoiler, but yeah, you can tell there's going to be rebellions. Yeah, just the satisfaction of driving this very modern train in a world that is mostly sort of bombed out, and it's one of the few remnants of civilization that's left outside of the capital. Hope for the future. Silence. We're just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of Hunger Games, they've won, and they're going on the talk shows, Hamish says you have to be very careful not to make President Snow feel threatened. Mm. Um, so you have to say that you just couldn't stand the thought of life without PETA is why you did that thing with the berries. Not as a fuck you, President Snow. Right. I mean, they've effectively become citizens of the capital in some ways in mm. terms of their status, but they're still not safe. Yeah, I, Paul should do most of the talking because he's the only one who really just, he probably knows the least about what's actually happening in the future. <laughs> so you can speculate yeah. and we'll just as, judge you. As far as I know, it'll go, <laughs> everything happens and it's fine. Things go along. Katniss, uh, you know, goes back to District 12 and, uh, you know, has tons of money and they relax and she, uh, you know, makes lots of friends. And, yeah, uh, you yeah, guessed. That's that's pretty much that's yeah, it's pretty much. But does she choose Gale or Peta? That is the most important thing about oh, yeah, the future. Oh yeah, we talk about that. That yeah, that that is a a tricky tricky topic. I, I like it. It was relevant, but it wasn't the thing that I was worried about because there's so much more at stake. And to be obsessed about the love triangle is to sort of play into that capital's very game. Wow. Yeah. I guess there's hope for Peta and Katniss because they're going to be hanging out together as the twin victors. Um, but who cares? Yeah. This idea that that's sort of, okay, you guys won because you are these star-crossed lovers. You guys better darn well be real, real in love as opposed to the real situation, which is that obviously Peta has a lot of feelings for Katniss and Katniss really likes Peta, but not in that way. So there's a lot of hope for Katniss specifically, that she gets to live and she brings honor to her district, or, or brings food to her district. <laughs> more important than for, honor. More important, yeah, for District 12, for sure. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any signs that it's causing severe problems for the capital, like in the immediate future. President Snow seems to have operated cleverly to contain it. He sustained uh, a slight humiliation. But he seems, he seems still kind of wary. Like, we He's see wary. him at the end of the movie, and he he doesn't look eased. Mm -hmm. He'd be much more happy if one of the deadly, but not necessarily that savvy uh, people from one of the District 1 or 2 had won, that mm -hmm. would just be happy with the, yay, I have ri I'm rich now, and I can get a bunch of stuff, and lots of honor, as opposed to somebody like Katniss, who clearly has her own goals. On. Shoot. And we both go down and you'd win. Go on. Anyway. I always was, right? I didn't know that till now. How's that? Is that what they want? Huh? Huh? No. <laughs> I can still do this. I can still do this. One more kill. It's the only thing I know how to do. Bring pride to my district. Not that it matters.
So that was The Hunger Games. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Gabby. Oh, thank you for having me. This was fun. <laughs> as, as fun as it can be to talk about the systematic enjoyment of violence of the death of children. <laughs> Which is real fun, considering yeah. how well the, uh, the movies and the books have sold. So there you go. Yeah, so fun. Yeah, there's this weird paradox that we're kind of, at least for the first movie, we're enjoying the same exact thing that the people in the Capitol are enjoying. Yeah, in the book, it's it's not quite as weird, reading about it rather than watching it. Right. Yeah. But, 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 but thank you for having me. I really did have a good time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to know whether to be sort of solemn in this book or be like, yeah, go get him, Katniss. The movie does make it so that she doesn't actually directly kill anybody without provocation. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, which is a little a bit... Cheap. Yeah, a little bit of a cop-out. but The next one, we're also going to do the others, and it gets much grimmer. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for listening. And it is a Loading Ready Run podcast. Yeah. Join us next time when we're going to be talking about a boy and his dog. A reminder that this podcast is presented by Loading Ready Run, and everything on Loading Ready Run is supported by our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. Our theme song is by Bradley Rains, and the interstitial segments are by Kiara Kant. So if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, uh, rate, or review it on iTunes. And if you want to give us some feedback, you can go to our forum at loadingreadyrun.com slash forum. Thank you yeah. very much for listening. Thanks. And would, uh, Gabi, would you give us a I Volunteers tribute? I Volunteers tribute! Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Great, yeah. I like it. I, yeah. I, really, I really felt like you wanted to be a tribute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. And I'm going to, our signature sign-off, which I now know how to say in Italian. <laughs> that was great. Um, which we'll finish off. E che la le probabilità sempre essere a vostro favore. And so may the odds always be in your favor. Goodbye. Bye. Ci vediamo. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>